0: Con- conjection. That's not even a word. Congestion, allergy stuff going on. So I ask you to bear with me. I am medicated, caffeinated, hydrated, and excited to be with you this morning. So hey, I want to give you an opportunity to open up your Bibles to uh, the book of Jonah. We're in Jonah chapter 2. Um, if you want to use one of the Bibles that we've uh, provided for you, uh, that's on page 774. Um, also, if you're here and if you don't have a Bible, um, you can take that Bible home with you. We'd love to make that a free gift to you today. We'd love to have, uh, give you the opportunity to have a Bible of your own. And so if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that one. Jonah chapter 2, page 774. Um, if you brought your own Bible, I have no idea what page that's on. Um, on my Bible, it's on page 936. Um, so, also, if you want to go digital and turn on your Bible, we're totally cool with that. We'd just love for you to have the Word of God in front of you this morning, no matter what kind of means um, that is by. Um, we started Jonah last week, and so let me give you just a, a little bit of a recap of, of where we're at. We studied Jonah chapter 1 last week, and what we talked about is that Jonah is a prophet, meaning that uh, he's been chosen by God to um, really be his mouthpiece, that God would Um, convey messages to Jonah, and Jonah would then, as a prophet, go and speak God's truth to people and say things like, here's the word of the Lord given to me by God for you. What we saw in Jonah chapter 1 is Jonah was told by God very clearly, I want you to go to Nineveh. And what we talked about is that Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, which is a very wicked place full of very wicked people who are are also enemies of of Israel. And so these weren't people that, that Jonah was very excited about to go, not not people on his top 10 list of people I'd like to see saved. And so instead of obeying God, instead of hearing God's word and doing God's word, uh, Jonah decided to rebel against God. And instead of going, what Jonah chapter 1 says, he arose and he fled. He went away from God. In fact, uh, Jonah decided to try to hop on a ship and go 2,500 miles away from where God wanted him to be and uh, back in that day and age by boat that journey itself just a one-way trip would have taken at least a year to get there so we discover that Jonah is trying to put as much separation as he can between himself and God and himself and where God wants him to go but we also see that our God is a God who pursues and God pursues Jonah and he pursues Jonah by first sending a storm that he sends a storm, and and the captain on the ship is kind of freaking out a little bit, and he's going, listen, this is a bad one. In fact, we might not make it through this one. And uh, what the Scripture says is that Jonah's actually in the kind of the the hangout area of the boat, taking a nap, and the captain goes down to Jonah and says, hey, you need to wake up, and maybe you should pray. Maybe this has something to do with you. Maybe this has something to do with uh, you fleeing from your God, and so you should get up, and you should pray. And maybe if you would pray... Uh, Maybe your God would have some mercy on us. And what we see is that Jonah's really a prophet on the run. In fact, in Jonah chapter 1, Jonah doesn't take time to pray. He kind of drags his feet and doesn't ever really leave the galley until uh, the captain goes up on the top of the boat and says, okay, he's not going to pray, and so here's what we have to do. We have to figure out whose fault this is. We have to figure out who God is after. And so they cast lots, which would be kind of like drawing straws. And they drew straws and it showed that it was Jonah's fault. And so they said, hey, we think this has something to do with you. We think this is your fault. And what Jonah tells them is that it's true. And that if they would throw him off the boat, that God would give up. That God would let the storm go. And so the captain says, listen, I don't want to be a murderer. I don't know that I want to throw anybody off the boat. Like, you kind of imagine that's a bad day as a captain. You have a pretty good record. Like, I've never killed anybody. And uh, I don't want this to be the first trip that I, I have to do that. And so for whatever reason, Jonah chooses, hey, I'd rather go over the side of the boat than, than turn back to God. Now, I had the opportunity yesterday to spend some time out on Lake Michigan with some, some good friends of mine. We were doing some salmon fishing, and it was a blast. And at one point, we were talking about this Jonah series, and someone kind of jokingly said to me, hey, if the fishing gets bad or if the weather gets bad, it's your fault. So we're throwing you off the boat. And my response is, I'm taking you with me. And I just never thought that was a good idea. Like, going off the side of the boat just doesn't ever seem like a good idea. And for whatever reason, for Jonah, that was the way he was going to go. That he thought, maybe I should just go overboard and take my chances with the ocean. And we see that that happens, that they throw Jonah overboard, and he's swallowed up by a big fish that God sent. And we discover that Jonah's now in the belly of, this big fish, where he will spend uh, three days and three nights. And one of the things that's interesting to me about Jonah is all throughout Jonah chapter 1, Jonah claims to have a relationship with God. He claims to fear God. He claims to worship God. He even continues to use the word prophet, that he's a prophet of God. But one of the things that's interesting is Jonah doesn't really have a relationship with God. Like, Jonah's not that close with God. He's not pursuing a relationship with God in fact I don't think I don't think Jonah in his own personal life had prayed for a really long time. And the reason I say that is because Jonah chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer. And I think the reason that Jonah chapter 2 is there is because we're going to read and see the prayer of a guy who hadn't prayed in a really long time. In fact, some people call Jonah chapter 2 the psalm of Jonah. And it kind of reminds me of people that I know. Uh, People who claim to be Christ followers, people who claim to be Christians, people who claim to be disciples of Jesus, and yet there's no evidence in their lives. In fact, sometimes people say, hey, I I worship Jesus, and yet they have a non-existent prayer life. we see that Jonah was that kind of guy. He was that kind of person that said, hey, I have a relationship with God but I don't really have a prayer life. And it kind of reminds me of a story that somebody told me a while ago. There was a small town in America somewhere that was a real tight-knit community, and somebody in the town decided they were going to open a bar. And so that this would be the first bar in their town. And so a bunch of people got together, and they're really upset about this, and they said, hey, we don't need a bar, and if a bar comes to our town, there'll be all kinds of upset people. And So they went to their church and they got the church kind of riled up and they got their pastor riled up and they decided, hey, we're going to prevent this church and what we'll do, or we're going to prevent this bar, what we're going to do is we're going to pray in front of the bar day in and day out until the bar closes down. We're going to shut down this thing through the power of prayer. And so every day around the clock, this church would gather people together and they would pray in front of the bar and they maybe thought God would do this big miraculous act or maybe people would just be uncomfortable passing by them as they went in and out of the bar. But sure enough, after some time, uh, something incredible happened. The bar was hit by lightning and then the bar burned to the ground. And the church thought, man, what, what, what awesomeness this is. Like we got rid of the bar. Until the bar owner decided to sue the church. And said, hey, I'm suing you because I think this is your fault. And so they had to go before a judge in court. And the judge said, hey, I want to hear the testimonies. And so the bar owner stood up and he said, here's the deal. I was trying to open a bar. It's legal. And I got all the permits, everything I needed. I opened the bar. And then my bar burned down. And the reason my bar burned down is because of them. This is their fault. They were praying day in and day out that the, the God would close down the bar, and now it's in rubble. So okay, I've heard your testimony, and he called up the pastor, and he said, I, I want to hear your testimony. He said, Your Honor, this isn't my fault. Like, we, we can't claim responsibility for this. Like, I, I, don't, I don't have anything in this. I, I, you can't hold me at fault for this. Like, we really didn't do anything. This really isn't motivated by anything that we've done. And the story goes, the judge says, hey, this is new for me. This is the first time in my court that I've had a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and a pastor in a church who don't. (laughs) And see, for us, sometimes it's not that different, is it? That we would say that we claim to know God and love God, and yet maybe we don't have much of a prayer life. And this morning, as we dive into Jonah chapter 2, we get to see some of the things that's happening in, in Jonah's life. We get to see some of the things that are happening in Jonah's heart because he writes down this prayer for us. Now, here's, here's what I, I would tell you. I don't think that this is Jonah's exact prayer, okay? But the reason for that would be is he's in the belly of a whale, and I've, or a big fish, uh, you know, either way. And I've never been in the belly of a big fish, but I'm guessing they don't hand out, like, Bibles, pens, and paper, right? I mean, that's probably not just something that's there for you to have. And my guess is that Jonah didn't communicate to the whale, and then the whale recited for him later. My guess is this is an account of some stuff that really stuck out to him, some stuff that was really, really important. My guess would be, this is just my guess, my guess would be if any of us were in the belly of a large fish, we would pray much longer prayers than this prayer. And I think what happens here is we just kind of have a snapshot about some stuff that Jonah said, hey, if I'm going to tell you about anything that took place here, here, here's kind of the spark notes, or here's kind of the simple outline that you need to know. So let's dive right in. Jonah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord of, out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. But one of the things that I absolutely love about this is right off the bat Jonah reminds us of this great truth that there's power in prayer. That every single one of us has the opportunity, at least has the capability, to cry out to God no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, and no matter where you are. Jonah is a rebellious prophet underwater in the belly of a big fish. and He goes, listen, I just cried out to God. And he says, not only did I cry out to God, But God heard my voice. And he reminds us that you and I have the opportunity to cry out to God at any time, in any place. And not only do we have the ability to cry out to God, but that God hears us, that our prayers reach him, that he's motivated by them. And don't miss this, that at any point, in any place, no matter who you are, that you can cry out in your prayers or your groaning or the things that are going on in your life that you want to talk to God about are heard by Him. That the holy, holy, holy Creator, Lord God Almighty, the Alpha, the Omega, the Everlasting, hears you when you call out to Him. And one of the things that's interesting is sometimes we think, well, I don't know if God would hear My prayers. I haven't been that good, and I've done some stuff, or maybe it's been a while. And Jonah reminds us that no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, that when you cry out to God, those prayers always reach his ear. Because Jonah is actively rebelling, Jonah is actively running. Jonah is a man who's been called by God to be his prophet, and he's decided that he wants absolutely nothing to do with that. In fact, he spent a lot of money to charter a boat to get as far from God as possible. And Jonah says, From the belly of this fish, I began to cry out to God, and he heard me. And that kind of led me to two thoughts. The first one is this, is maybe for some of you that's what you need to know today. Maybe you need to know that even though you're running from God, or maybe there's some separation between you and God in your life. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. That you can cry out to him today. That you could pray to him today. And that he would hear your voice. That the holy, holy, holy Creator God, Lord God Almighty, the great I am I could hear your voice no matter who you are no matter where you are no matter what you've done now the second thought I've had at least for me has been a little bit more convicting because the reality is is for most of us prayer is kind of a last-ditch effort isn't it it at least is for Jonah Jonah's at a point where he's going, I didn't know what else to do, I didn't know what else I could do, so I'm kind of throwing a Hail Mary pass, and I'm just like seeing if God's going to connect with me on the other side of this prayer. And if we're honest, like that happens to us. And if you really listen to people's conversations, we even say it this way, we just make it sound a little bit more cute and a little more non-offensive, and maybe there'd be some sort of issue in our lives. We go, I've done everything I know how to do, and I've tried everything I know how to try, and I've called everybody I know how to call, and you know what? I guess I'll just try Prayer. I'll give that a whirl. And I wonder how offensive that is to the heart of God. That we treat communication with Him, that we would treat the opportunity and His availability to us at any time as something that we'll try when we've run out of other resources. See, one of the things we learn right off the bat is that when we go to God in prayer, He gets the glory. And not only does he get the glory, but we get the help that we're looking for. That when we say, hey, God, I've got all these things that I could do, and I've got all these things that I could try, and I've got all these resources that are available to me. But here's the thing. Instead of doing all of that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to cry out to you. I'm going to try to pray the best that I can to you. And here's the thing. That means I choose you over all this stuff. That means I think you're more powerful than all of this, and I think you're more significant than all the resources. Ultimately, I think you are who you say you are, and that you hold the keys to this thing, and that you're the solution. You're exactly what I need for the situation that I'm in. And that when we turn to God, he gets glory, because it, it signifies that we know who he is, that we know his word and what he's capable of, and that what we really desire is him, and his power, and his strength, and his presence in our life. Now, this is really significant because Jonah uses some really intentional words. What Jonah says is that he called out to the Lord. He says, out of my distress. The word distress is to Sarah. It's like Sarah with a T in front of it in Hebrew. To Sarah. The word literally means distress like childbirth it's about when the contractions start and things get uncomfortable and it's kind of painful and it's this idea of hey i'm not just in pain but i'm in in pain with expectation that something's going to happen that there's discomfort and there's pain but i think it's going to lead to something I think there's going to be something like a newness, something like a newness, or something like a new birth, if I can get through this. In fact, the way this would literally translate would be: "In my distress, in my agony, it's as though I'm being born again. It's as though there's something happening that I'm being made new." He said, "When I called upon God in my to Sarah, it's as though something's birthing inside of me." And then he says this. He says. From the belly of Sheol, I cried out. Sheol can be translated a couple different ways. It means grave, the realm of the dead, hell, or far from God. Sheol is a biblical word used all throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. It's referred to. It's used to refer to all kinds of different things. In fact, uh, even in, in the New Testament, there's. Um, a wasteland, like a garbage dump. That they talk about, hey, that's like Sheol over there. Who would want anything to do with that? A place of death and rot and nastiness. And what Jonah says, in the middle of my Sheol, in the middle of my death sentence, as I'm passing from life into the realm of the dead, as I'm experiencing what I think Jonah would call his personal hell, as he continued to get further and further and further away from God. He says, in my tessera, in my pain, in the midst of my own sheol, I cried out to God. And like, if we're honest, for some of us, that's where we are today, right? In the middle of your pain, in the middle of your suffering, in the middle of the hell that you're going through as you walk through your own personal shale, maybe you would say something like, from the depths of my marriage, from the depths of my work situation, from the depths of my addiction, from the depths of my broken relationships, from the depths of my financial situation, see, it's in the middle of those difficult times that we can cry out to God, that we can call upon His name, and that He would hear us. In fact, if you put Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 together, it reads something like this. I was as good as dead, but when God showed up in his great mercy, so I could be born again. For Jonah, this is huge. He's saying, I was going one direction, and all of a sudden when God showed up, All of a sudden, in his great mercy, when he worked according to his power and according to his grace and according to his will, it completely changed my life. One of the things that's true is that God could have given up on Jonah at any point. Like at any point, God could have decided that Jonah had run too far, that he had rebelled too much, that his wickedness was too great. Let's just be honest. Jonah's story could end at the end of chapter at the end of chapter 1. We probably wouldn't teach this one to our children in Sunday school, but instead of sending a great fish, God could have sent a great shark, right? And they threw him off and and make a really great movie, but not such a great children's ministry story. And what Jonah says is God never gave up on me. But in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my suffering, In the midst of my situation, I called upon God, and not only did he hear me, but he got involved. That one of the things we see clearly as we continue to walk through these scriptures about Jonah is we see that God was actively working in Jonah's life, even in the midst of Jonah's pain. That God never stops working. Like God never stopped pursuing Jonah, even in the midst of his pain. And this is so important because usually what happens in your life and my life when we experience personal pain, when we go through hardship and troubles, we assume something. I've done something wrong. God has left me. He's forsaken me. He's not working in my life. That some, Somewhere along the lines, we've learned that some sort of discomfort or pain must mean that God's no longer with me. And this is what Jonah says, in the middle of my tessera, in the middle of my pain, God is working. That God was doing something bigger than I ever thought he would do. He was working a miracle greater than I ever thought he could work. He was actually working to deliver me in the middle of the pain that I'm experiencing. And we see that God pursues Jonah in phases. Phase one is God calls Jonah hey Jonah, I'm pursuing you. You're my guy. I've called you to be my prophet and here's what I want you to do just like you've done before in other times and other places. I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell them the word that I'm going to give you and God pursues Jonah. But instead of being obedient, Jonah flees and runs. And so Jonah hops on a ship headed headed 2,500 miles away and God sends a storm Jonah, I'm pursuing you. You're going the wrong way. You're sailing to the wrong destination. Wake up. Return to me. And not only does God send a storm, God sends a really great captain who comes down to Nona and says, listen, Jonah, you need to think about this. You need to wake up. You need to pray. Like this may have something to do with, with your running. This may have something to do with your disobedience. And then God sends a really big fish who for all intended purposes is somehow vegetarian. And it's God's grace. It's God's pursuit of Jonah. And see, the reason we we pause and kind of talk about this is because I think every single one of us in some way, shape, or form desires God to work in our lives. I believe that. I believe every single one of us is somehow looking for the heart and the character of God. For some of us, it's the desire to be loved even though we have this feeling that maybe we're not fully worthy to be loved the way we want to be. For others, of maybe it's we're just looking for hope or we're looking for peace or we're looking for truth. Maybe we're looking for fulfillment and we know that everything we've tried and everything we've done and everything we've experienced with Maybe lasts a while, but has never really filled the void. Maybe for others, it's just like Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He goes, anybody want to be blessed? Everybody's like, yeah. Jesus preaches his longest sermon ever. He said, blessed be, blessed be, blessed be. See, I think every single one of us desires God to show up in our lives. I think every single one of us desires the love and the grace and the mercy and the hope and the peace and the power and the strength and the salvation and the hope of eternity that only God offers us through Christ Jesus. The issue is we normally do not like his process. See, I think every single one of us could fill in this blank. We we would say, God, I want you to do blank in my life. You can fill that one in. God, I want you to do, and just fill in the blank. And see, what I know about you because it's true for me is what we want God to do is whatever you put in that blank, we want him to do it instantly, like yesterday. And what we usually desire when it comes to God in our life, we want results from him. Like, God, I need you to show up and I need you to do some stuff and I need you to make some stuff happen and if you would show me results then I would believe in who you are. And as we read scripture, you know what we see is God always does Is God always pursues us not through results, but through relationship. And that God always desires to do something incredible in you before he does something incredible through you. And usually what that means is what God does is he leads us through phases. that we would say, God, I want you to do, and God said, okay, will you take the first step and follow me? Will you take the first step, and then will you take the second step? And would you allow me to lead you? And would you allow me to do some things in your life? And I'll get to where we're going. But listen, it's going to take one step at a time. And see, God uses phases to lead us and to teach us and to direct us and to mold us, to correct us, to convict us, sometimes to grow us up and to ultimately lead us to his will. See, sometimes we get frustrated, not because God isn't working, but because we want it now. And see, what God usually wants to do is more than what you have asked him to. Maybe you're sick and you go, God, I want you to heal me. See, maybe the way God answers that prayer is through like a 10-phase healing process. Instead of doing it like this, he goes, hey, would you follow me? Hey, would you trust me? Hey, would you allow me to pursue you by responding to me? Because maybe if he did it just by step one, you would never see him for who he is, and maybe you would never learn what he always wanted you to learn through the other nine phases. So we usually want results from God. But what God really desires is a relationship. And see, in your life, if you're going through that personal sheol, and if you've got that tessera kind of distress in your life, don't forget the phases. Don't forget that God takes you one step at a time to the destination that he wants to lead you to. You see, in the belly of the big fish, Jonah has this realization. He has this realization that God's been pursuing him the whole time. He has this realization that God's after him and that God hasn't given up on him, but God's working to give him new life in the middle of his pain, Jonah chapter two, verse three: "For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and your waves and your billows passed over me." Oh, we're going to take a quick time out here. This is an open book pop quiz. Anybody remember who threw Jonah into the water? You go ahead and say it if you know. Who threw Jonah off the boat into the water? It's open book, so if you look back at chapter 1, it's there. Those are making me nervous. The messages are all online. You go to www.jismazin.com. Who, who threw them in? The sailors. Yeah, the, the sailors threw them in, right? Now watch this. Now watch this. But he says this, and this is his prayer. For you cast me into the deep. And you go, God didn't throw him in. The captain did. And this is why we have to slow down and read these stuff sometimes, because here's what Joe is saying. He's going, my rebelling of you did not change who you really are. Jonah says, even though I tried to flee from you, that never changed your sovereignty. And Jonah goes, you've been pursuing me. And it wasn't that the captain threw me in, because here's the thing, God, you're you're so powerful and you're so mighty that if you didn't want me in the water, the captain would have never been able to throw me in the water because no one has more power than you have. And he goes, listen, he attributes this all to God, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea and the floods surrounded me and all your waves and all your billows passed over me. He goes, God, you've been pursuing me. And then I said I'm driven away from your sight. And yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head and the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. See sometimes because we think we know the story so well, we think Jonah got thrown off the boat and just instantly the big fish was there. And he tells the story, he goes, no, no, there there were some moments of panic. He says, listen, I went and I tried to swim, but the billows and the waves, they pushed me down, and I just began to sink, and not only that, but there was seaweed wrapped all over my head, and I couldn't see, and I was sinking to the point where I thought the bottom of the ocean was just going to bar me in. And what's significant is there's this language in Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 2 that says that The minute that Jonah rebelled against God, his direction was down. Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down to Tarshish. He went down in the galley of the boat. He jumped, he got thrown off the boat, and he went down. And that changes right here in verse 6. He says, Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. He says, God, when you showed up, when you got involved, when you made your presence known, it changed my direction. I was no longer going down, but now I was coming up. And see, for Jonah, this is what I would call his but God moment in life. He was saying, I was going one direction. I thought I was going to be dead, 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 put a nail in the coffin, dead but God showed up. He said, I thought I was going to drown with seaweed wrapped around me, but God showed up. See, friends, don't we'll ever forget those but God moments in your life. See, man, my, my marriage was going one way and I thought for sure it was going to end badly, but God showed up. The doctor said, hey, here's the diagnosis, but God showed up. The financial situation was going one way, but God Showed up. Life was getting out of control, but God showed up. And see, for Jonah, this is huge. Because when God shows up, something happens in Jonah's life. Verse 7. He says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple so he goes man as I was drowning as my life was on the line he goes I was crying out to God and God showed up and he goes and something significant happened I remembered I remembered who God was I remember what he's like I remember him for who he really is not for who I've made him out to be I remembered him as powerful. I remembered him as one who was worthy of my praise instead of the one who I could run from. Because I remembered, I had this remembrance of who God is and that he loves me and that he's called me and that he desires a relationship with me. He says that remembrance then led him just to more prayer. They began to cry out to God remembering who he is. see, for some of us, maybe that's exactly what we need, is to remember God. Now some of us would go, listen, I don't think I have forgot God. And I would say, you probably have. For Jonah, for you and for me, we have this tendency that when life is going really, really well, we tend to put God on the back burner, don't we? We go, hey, God, things are going great. I got the job. I got the promotion. Things are good with my spouse. Things are good with my kids. Man, life is good. Hey, God, like, ah, can I just give you a high five today? And listen, listen I got this one. Life is good. I got this. I, I can do this. God, I don't know if you golf, but if you do, go, go hit the back nine today. I got this one. And see, so what we do is we begin to treat God like he's some sort of emergency service. And as life goes good, we go, hey, God, I just, I don't need you today. I don't need that relationship with you today. I don't need to pursue you through your word today. I don't need to pursue you through prayer time today because everything's okay. And so here's the thing. When things get bad, God, I'll know where to find you. I'll know that you're on the back burner. I'll know that you're on the shelf. I'll know where to pull in case of an emergency. I see what happens then is one day you realize that God's just not on the back burner but you've been living life apart for him for years. You haven't been living with him or for him. You haven't had his power in your life. What you realize is it's been all about you and your worships, been all about you, and God's right where you put him. But you're the one that's drifted further and further and further away. See, this is a crucial moment in Jonah's life that he remembered the Lord. Maybe for some of us here today, this would be a crucial moment for you, that you would remember God, that you remember who the Bible says he is, not who you've made him out to be. You would remember that he is worthy of our praise and that he alone is worthy of our worship. And you would remember him now, this is really, really fascinating because all of a sudden, after Jonah chapter 2, verse 7, Jonah's prayer takes a, takes a turn. In fact, I would say something happens in this remembrance that Jonah has. Something happens in this relational experience that he has where all of a sudden Jonah finds his voice. All of a sudden Jonah becomes a prophet again. And in fact, all of a sudden in his in his Prayer, he starts like preaching a message and there's not anybody there. Like, unless he's speaking whale, not even the whales listening. He just says, Listen, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you about what's God done. Like, listen, I get this as a pastor, as a teacher, as a preacher. Like, I'm always looking for sermon illustrations. If I hang out with you long enough, you'll make it in the message. That will just happen. And I probably won't even warn you. I'll just tell you afterwards. Hey, man, I talked about your church today. And this is, this is what he does. This is what he says. All of a sudden, he goes, he goes from this, I was in the deep, I was dying, and God showed up. And then he says this in Jonah chapter 2, verse 8 and 10. He says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay salvation Belongs to the Lord. This phrase, hope of steadfast love, is one word in Hebrew. It's chesed. It's the Hebrew word hased And it really means the loving kindness, the pursuing love of God. It's a very specific type of love. He's saying this is the love that God has for us, And because God loved us so much, he doesn't send us just cute Hallmark cards. He sent us his son, Jesus. That Jesus would leave heaven and come to earth and would live and die and come back from death so that you and I could have life and hope and salvation and a relationship with God. So there's this loving kindness, this loving pursuit, this relentlessness that God has that he will pursue us because he loves us and he wants us to know him for who he is. And Jonah says, you know what I realized? I realized I traded that in. I realized that I had experienced the hesed, the loving kindness of God, and I decided to trade it in for other things. I decided that I so desperately would rather see the people in Nineveh die than be saved, that I traded in the hesed of God for my own pride. I traded in the hesed, the loving kindness of God, For my own selfishness, for my own prejudice. He said, You know where that got me? You know what happened to me when I traded in the chased, the loving kindness of God? It led me to the bottom of the ocean, dying alone with seaweed around my head. And Jonah finds his voice and goes, Listen, don't do it. Don't ever trade the loving kindness of God for anything. It's a rip-off. You'll be deceived and you will lose that trade every single time. Don't do it. And see, every single one of us is tempted to do this. That we would experience the chesed, the loving kindness of God, and then we would then trade that in for Idols. They go, I know what God's word says, and I know that he wants me to do, and I I know what it means to worship, Him. but here's the thing. I I would rather trade him in for that success that I'm after. I'd rather trade him in for that money that I'm after. I'd rather trade him in for that self-worth or that self-image. And I I would take this and say, I'm going to give a little bit of this because I want a little bit of that. And Jonah says, don't do it. That's a ripoff. It's not a fair trade. You will lose out on that trade every single time. See, the question is, is what are your idols? And where are you tempted to trade in the Hassed love of God for something else? And Jonah says there's nothing, nothing worth that. Nothing that comes close to that value. That there is nothing worth trading in the love of God. And then in verse 9, Jonah gets serious. And he says that he'll make a sacrifice, and I'm not exactly sure how he's going to do that, because he's in the belly of a big fish. But what he tells the God, he says, listen, what I have vowed to you, I will pay. And this isn't Jonah bargaining with God. This isn't him trying to make some sort of deal because we do this, right? We prayed this prayer. God, if you would just answer this prayer, then I will never swear again. God, if you just pray this prayer, I'll always go to church except for those few weekends. God, I, I'll give all of my money except for what I think I need. God, I will, if you will just answer this prayer, then I will, I swear to you, God, I will always, I will never, and you think that somebody like offering yourself like that will cause, God? oh man, you know what, I need it. I needed needed that, so I'm going to take that and I'll give you a little myself. Like Jonah has no bargaining chips. Jonah isn't saying, hey God, if you you get me out of here, I'll do some stuff. Because there's nothing that Jonah can do to contribute to his salvation. There's nothing he can do to get out of the belly of the big fish. He's already experienced the fact that he can't save his own life. There's nothing he has to offer. There's nothing he has to give. And Jonah realizes salvation belongs to the Lord. He goes, my salvation belongs to God. That God chooses to save me and he alone can save me and it's only up to him who should be saved. And Jonah also realizes that that means God who can save whoever he wants, whenever he wants, wherever he wants. See, Jonah begins to have this realization that the very people that he thought were unworthy of God's salvation are no different than him. That he's just as rebellious. That he's just as wicked. That he no more deserves salvation than anyone else. And he has this realization, salvation belongs to the Lord. And see, what the New Testament says is that for grace, it is for, by grace of God that you and I have been saved. That it's not by your works and it's not by my works, that none of us can brag about our salvation because it's not up to us. It's up to God. And what Jonah begins to realize is that when it cost, it cost God something to save him. As Jonah begins to realize that only God can cause salvation, he realizes that the only reasonable response is to say to God, here is my life. You take it. See, I think what Jonah is saying is, what I vowed to you, I will pay. I think he's referring to the time that God called him and he said Yes. The time where he said, you will be my God, and I will be your child. You'll be my God, and I will serve you forever. And God, you've called me to be your prophet, so I'll go wherever you want me to go, and I'll do whatever you want me to do, and I'll say whatever you want me to say, because you are God, and I am not, and I worship you. And what Jonah says is, I realize who you are. I remember you for who you are, not for who I made you out to be. And I realized that selfishly, I thought somehow I was more worthy of salvation than anybody else. But you know what I've realized, God? Salvation belongs to you and you alone. That there's no way to be saved other than the way that you make it available for people to be saved. And I think Jonah chapter 2 reminds us of two beautiful truths. The first one is this, is that God can save whomever he wants to save. And see, sometimes we think God could never save me. Like, you don't know the sins that I've committed. You don't know the things that I've done. I'm too far gone. I'm I'm too sinful. There's no way God could undo what I've done. And what Jonah says is, listen, salvation belongs to him. And you can't out-sin his hasad love for you. You can't out-sin what Jesus has done for you through his death and through his resurrection. Maybe for some of us here, we've put off saying yes to Jesus because you've had this thought that he could never love me and he could never accept me and I could never be saved because of the stuff I've done. And Jonah testifies to you from the belly of a big fish, yes, he can. There's nothing too great, no rebellion too far. that You can't put so much room between you and God that he cannot save you because God relentlessly pursues us. That Jesus has pursued you most through his life and his death and his resurrection. And the second truth that Jonah chapter 2 reminds us of is that whether or not we're on the top of the world or in the depths of our personal sheol, when you call, on the Lord. He always responds. And so the question for you and the question for me is how will we respond to this truth? And how will we worship God after hearing His Word this morning? Let's pray. Father God, we come before You this morning and we thank You for who You are. God, I pray in these next few moments that as we continue to worship You through giving and through song. God, I pray that you would just draw close to us. God, I pray that we would remember you for who you are. God, that we would remember your greatness and your holiness, your loveliness, your everlastingness. God, that we would remember that you are a God who loves his people and that you pursue us that we might find salvation and forgiveness of sins. God, we come before you this morning. We ask you to forgive us for the times we rebel from you. God, we ask you to forgive us for the times that we treat you like fire insurance or an emergency service. God, I pray that right now, in this place, that you would change our hearts, that you would change our minds, that you would change our lives. God, for some of us, maybe we just need to stop running. We just need to respond and remember you for who you are and say, God, salvation is yours. Here I am. Take me. God, maybe for others of us, we need to respond to your salvation for the very first time. God, maybe for some of us, it's time that we start praying. It's time that we start believing that when we call upon your name, you hear our voice, that you always answer according to your good, holy, and perfect will. That we give ourselves to you this morning. That help us to worship you for who you are. May you be pleased with us in all that we do. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray.